It is a delight to see you in our service, and we direct your attention now to the Word of God. We're in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 9, and the passage is before you there in your bulletin. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And when it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a remarkable story, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. But first, I want to direct you to the most important phrase in the passage. It's found there in that next to the last verse that we read, verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. We'll talk about the miracle in just a moment. But I want to talk about the miracles, the miracles, the signs, the wonders that God has always given His people. If you sketch it through the Bible, you'll notice that the greatest miracle worker in the Old Testament was Moses. In fact, the summary statement of Moses' ministry in this regard is found in the book of Deuteronomy, the very end. You might want to make a pencil note of this in your Bible there at the very end when the account of Moses' end and death is there, it says, and there was, well, let me just start here. So the people of Israel obeyed Moses and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Let's not discount that. When God wants us to know that He is speaking word, He accompanies it with miracle, with signs, with wonders with incredible things, acts of terror, things that stark, that starkly get our attention and enable us to, to, to be arrested. And this is what the Lord did in the Old Testament. He never had a servant in the Old Testament that did miracles. Elijah, Elisha, 
Others perform miracles. We see miracles in the days of the judges from time to time, but nothing like what God did through the hand of Moses. And it was all to authenticate his word to Moses. For the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses are the foundation stone of the Old Testament prophet. In fact, all the prophets did was study the law and preach it to the people. And all that the writings and the Psalms and the Proverbs is men who studied the law and meditated upon the law day and night and then burst forth in prayer and in praise and in song and in proverb. The whole Old Testament revelation is authenticated, grounded and founded upon basically Moses and miracle and the writings of the prophets and, the, and that came as, uh, on that foundation. And we see the same thing happens then in the days of Jesus. When Jesus came, there was a revival of miracle like never before seen. In fact, as we looked a few weeks ago at the lame man that was healed in the temple there at the gate beautiful, that fulfilled two prophecies in the Old Testament that the lame would walk, the lame would leap, and that was an evidence that the Messiah had come. And that Jesus, in fact, was that Messiah. And all that Jesus did over and over and over was filled with miracle and wonder and sign along with words. In fact, you'll remember that Nicodemus, a man steeped in the days in the books of Moses, a ruler in Israel, recognized the authenticity of Jesus by saying, we know thou art come from God for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. Miracle attest to the authenticity of God's word. In Jesus, who was the very word of God, the very divine incarnation of word itself came in power and in wonder and in miracle, incredible miracles that were there. But look, many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that is the Gospel of John, but these are written. There is a direct connection between miracle, wonder, sign, and inscripturated word. These are written that you may believe. Most important thing about miracle is to get something written in order that people might believe. Understand the connection because it is very important that we understand it, especially in our day, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Son of God. And there's how it becomes practical to us. And that by believing, you may have life through His name. All that Jesus did was to engender belief. Turning the water into wine, you remember, Many believed on him that day. Many believed for the works that he did, the scriptures say. And we've seen now a third great epoch of wonder and sign and miracle, and that's in the days of the apostles. Moses, Old Testament, Jesus, his life and ministry, the coming of God in the flesh. And now the days of the apostles. We've seen several times even though we've skipped some of the text, there's several times there are little summary paragraphs sort of 
bringing us up to speed and making sure we don't lose our focus as we study through the narrative of Acts of the nascent church and all of its activities, principally around Peter, the apostle here in the first part of Acts, Paul in the second part of Acts. But over and over and over we hear about miracles, signs and wonders, the mighty works that the Lord, even Peter preaching on Pentecost referred to the mighty works that Jesus did as the sign of authentication as to who he really was and that is the Son of God and our Savior. And that by believing in Him, we might have eternal life. So that's the whole burden of the apostles is to talk about the miracles Jesus did. But in order for the apostles to be believed in the believing community and in the area of Jerusalem and Judea in Israel, the works and the miracles of Peter are set forth. And then as the gospel moves wider in the Mediterranean world and moving all the way even to the Western Mediterranean under the ministry and the guidance of the Apostle Paul, we find power and wonder and miracle being performed by Paul. Paul tells the Corinthian church, I came to you in power and in word. And he says to them, you receive the word of God as what it really is. That is the word of God. And it was the miracle, the power, the wonder that authenticated the apostolic message. And the apostles, Peter and Paul, largely represent two great groups of writing apostles. Peter represents the Jerusalem group. That is the men who lived and, and were disciples of Jesus and were in the ministry of the church in Jerusalem there from the very days of the Pentecost. Men like Peter, of course, and John, and the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude, and all the others, the, the writers, Mark, John Mark, and uh, uh, Matthew. So much of the New Testament was written by this group that were under the ministry and the tutelage of the, the apostolic group, especially Peter. And then we find, as we'll make a shift here very shortly, and our text will move toward the ministry of Paul, the apostle, not to the house of Israel, but to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the peoples of the world. And we'll see that Paul had around him men who wrote scripture. John Mark was once one of his economies. Luke, who wrote our text here, and the gospel. And then the letters of Paul, all the letters of Paul. You'll find that the, the New Testament scriptures were written by the apostolic band of men who performed signs and wonders and had seen what Jesus had done and the Lord had given them the gifts to do this sort of thing. Now, how do I say all that and why do I kind of ride this horse for a moment, this hobby horse? Well, that's because in our own day we see people all over the place, especially in the evangelical Christian world, that are denying this truth. They're looking for some additional word from God. And so they call out the sign gifts and the word gifts, the gifts of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gifts of knowledge, all of the word gifts and the sign gifts of healing and, and uh, casting out demons and all the other things. They bring these in and they want to see these acted and enacted. What are they trying to do? They're trying to find a more sure word of prophecy. They want an additional word from God, a fresh word from God, apart from that which has been inscripturated already. The New Testament is very clear 
that the, the writers of the New Testament, the apostles, the first generation apostles in the primitive church spoke under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And what we have in their writings in the New Testament are authentic scripture. And it was validated and vindicated by miracle. Incredible miracle. Healings, resuscitations, casting out demons, healing of all sorts. Peter raised the dead as we see here. Paul did. But since the scriptures have been written, they are sufficient. And to look for a new gift, a new sign, a fresh word from the Lord... And the things that go with it is to look for something beyond what God has given us. But it's worse than that. It's to walk away from what God has given us. It's to say what God has given us in His inscripturated Word. Paul says that the church is founded upon the prophets, that is Moses and His miracle testifying truth, and the apostles, that is Peter and Paul and John and all the others, and their testifying, witnessing to the truth of God's Word. I think we in our circle sort of believe that, but it's important for us to remember how important these miracles were in this first century. And it's also important for us to remember for a practical matter that when this Word became inscripturated by this very generation of apostolic writers and preachers and eyewitnesses to the glory and the majesty of God Himself in Christ in the flesh on earth, in Palestine 2,000 years ago, in history, once that's been authenticated and the witnesses have sworn their testimony, the case is closed. The canon is closed. It's not, it's not a coincidence that the last writing apostle, John, has at the end of his book, which is really a letter, a letter to seven churches, if anyone adds to or takes from the Word of God, these curses will fall upon him. All the curses he's been writing about the horrible, horrible destruction. So I think we ought to be very confident and very comfortable in knowing that what God has given us in the pages of his Old Testament and New Testament are his very words, and they've been testified by miracle. Let's look at the miracle for a moment. It's Peter. You read the narrative. It's a simple, straightforward narrative. They call Peter to come to the scene where a woman has just died. She's a beloved woman. She's a wonderful woman. She's a woman full of good works. Her name is, we have two names here. Her name is Tabitha, but it is translated Dorcas. And literally what that word is, is gazelle. <laughs> I know a lot of women would like to be sort of thought of as a gazelle. It's a beautiful animal. And she was rich in good works. She had provided clothing for who knows how many people. And she was loved. Yet she was lying there newly dead. And it was just the horror and the stench 
of that awful thing that comes upon all of humanity and that is no matter how good she was, no matter how beautiful she was, no matter how wonderful she was, no matter how beloved she was, she died. And that's what happens. All that human life, no matter how productive, no matter how, how admirable, it ceases. And she had died and they called the apostle Peter. Now the story is kind of interesting because this parallels Remember I talked about when he healed the, the uh, lame man that Jesus had healed a man that had been brought to him? Well, this particular narrative here, if you go back to the, to the account just before here, you have the healing of a man who had paralysis. So Peter heals the paralytic, Ananias, and then he's called over to the dead woman's bedside over to Dorcas. And there she is, washed, clean, beautifully arrayed and displayed, but dead. Same thing happened to Jesus. You look in Mark chapter 5. He had performed a miracle. There was a woman that had an issue of blood, and she had literally just touched the hem of his garment. And of course, the Old Testament had said that the sun would arise with healing in his wings. And the wings are the fringes of the garment that the priest wore. And this was the garment that Jesus wore. She had touched the wings of the garment and had been healed from her issue of blood. A woman who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all of her money. That sounds like a good health care system right there, doesn't it? That's what Jesus had done. He had healed her, but then he had been called to the bedside of a very sick child, Jairus, the ruler in the synagogue there in that area had called Jesus desperately to come to the bedside of his sick little girl. And Jesus gets there, but the girl's dead. Just like Dorcas, she's dead. And what Jesus did, according to the account, was he asked everybody to leave. And he went in unto the girl, and he took with him only Peter and John and James. Peter had witnessed this. He had been with Jesus when he had healed the woman with the issue of blood, and now he's with Jesus in the bedroom of this little girl. And Jesus says to the little girl exactly what Peter says to Dorcas. Jesus said, little girl, arise. And she rose up. Peter had seen Jesus bring a dead body back to life. And now here he is coming along and he has a paralyzed man and he heals the paralyzed man and now he's called to the bedside of the dead woman and he moves in like Jesus had. And Jesus had said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Jesus had given them the full measure of the Spirit of God. Jesus had given them the power to do miracle, sign and wonder in order that they may believe in Him and that by believing they may have life through His name. That's the point of the miracle. If so, people will be shocked, arrested, totally fixated, impressed beyond all measure, and it was important that the deaths be authenticated 
It wasn't just that she had dropped over that moment and he asked her to come back immediately. She had been prepared for viewing and then for a burial. And we know Jewish custom and ancient custom, they didn't take long. The embalming fluid wasn't that good in Palestine as it was in Egypt. <laughs> so they just did what they needed to do quickly. And the Lord had been at the graveside of Lazarus. The last, the greatest, the most spectacular miracle that Jesus did in his ministry, just before they took him and captured him and brought him in to crucify him, was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That was the one thing that they knew they couldn't gainsay. They couldn't, well, we can maybe talk about some of these healings or some of these exorcisms, but we can't gainsay resuscitation or what we think of as resurrection, although, as we'll see in just a second, it's not resurrection, really. It's just a resuscitation, a coming back to life, a reviving, a restoring of the human body, back to breathing, heartbeat, and human life. Mortality did not put on immortality. It was not the resurrection. Corruption did not put on incorruption. No, Dorcas lived and then died again. So did the little girl. So did Lazarus. Resurrection is the miracle here. The final point I'll make, and I'll try to make it in about 90 seconds, is that miracle is not just for the purpose of authenticating the Christ so that we might believe in Him and by believing we may have life through His name, but miracle also is a physical, natural thing that happens that is put for, before us so that it may teach deeper spiritual truth. Jesus fed 5,000 so that he could teach them that he was the bread of life. Jesus turned water into wine so that he could show them the abundance of the wine, the abundance of his blood, the full efficacy and sufficiency of his atonement. There's deeper spiritual truth in the miracle. Demons were cast out, not just so someone would be free from a demon and so someone would be free of legion as the demoniac of, of, uh, of Galilee was. But instead it was that a point may be made. Jesus cast out demons so that he could show he had power over Satan, that the serpent's head was crushed, that the prince of this world had been judged. And here it is too, Jesus and his disciples performed resurrection to teach about real resurrection. Jesus had tried to teach them about resurrection. He had said a lot about resurrection in his ministry. Let me read just a few uh, very familiar passages. But I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. These are written, these miracles are performed that ye may believe and that by believing you may have life through his name. And resurrection was the ultimate supreme miracle. Two resurrections are performed by God upon our lives sovereignly. One is the resurrection of our souls from death to life. You're dead in trespassing and sin. And he hath quickened you, made you alive. You are regenerated, born again by the Spirit of God. And then on that last day when you're in the dust of the earth, when the shout and the trumpet sound, 
you'll be raised from the dead and live eternally in Christ forever. Jesus just couldn't stop talking about the resurrection. He answered and said to them, no one can come to the Father unless the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last days. As it is written in the prophets, oh, they will be taught by God. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There's the feeding of the 5,000. I will raise him on the last day. Jesus taught these things in the fields and in the homes and in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said on the occasion of Lazarus, raising before he ever raised him he said I am the resurrection and the life do we know him as the resurrection and the life have we have you been raised from your dead corpse of a soul and been vivified, given life by the mighty power of God? Do you have a hope and an expectation that one day you'll be raised to glory from your grave to live with Christ forever and ever and ever? Dorcas was a humble servant of the Lord. And the best service she ever gave was letting Peter use her as an illustration of the resurrection and the life. 